Hello, my dear friends, our advanced family around the world. I'm preaching from my home as we, like many of you, are in lockdown due to the coronavirus. We're going to be looking together at the opening verses of Paul's letter to the Philippians. It is a cheerful letter and I pray that you will all be filled with cheer today by it. Interestingly, similar to our context, the context of this letter was challenging. Paul, the author, was in prison, facing possible execution. The church in Philippi, the recipients, were facing persecution. To quote Alec Mottier, the Philippian believers were tensed up, ready for the assault of a menacing world. Now, coronavirus and its various socio and economic side effects is menacing, isn't it? And it can make us tense. So I think this is truly a letter for our times. We're going to look at the opening 14 verses, which I'm calling the comfort and courage of partnership. And we will look at it in three sections. Firstly, verses 1 and 2, partners. 3 to 11, partnership. And 12 to 14, primary passion. So heading 1, partners, let's read verse 1 and 2 together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul came from a culture that enjoyed proper introductions before saying anything of great importance, but even this two-verse introduction has important things to teach us about our identity. For example, Paul introduced himself as a servant. And if this Christ-appointed apostle, Roman citizen, brilliant scholar, thinks of himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, then certainly so should we. Now, it's important to define ourselves as servants of Christ for a myriad of reasons, not least to avoid any sense of entitlement in these somewhat confusing and difficult days. Let me back up. When we're faced with God doing or allowing something that we don't understand and that something is uncomfortable, we tend to lean either toward entitlement or worship. So we either say, Potter, what are you doing? I, the clay, don't understand and that is unacceptable. Or we say, Father, whatever you are doing, I don't understand and that is completely appropriate for you are God and I am not. And I'm reminded of the Isaiah 55 gap between your ways, which are higher than my ways. And Father, I'm determined to fill this gap in my understanding with worship, not entitlement. Friends, this pandemic should humble us before God. We got this. No, we haven't. Corona has shaken the world. Remember the back end of uh, Hebrews 12, where the writer speaks of God shaking the temporary, to highlight the unshakable eternal. And the writer concludes like this, therefore let us worship God with reverence and awe. No entitlement there, just pure servant attitude by the writer of Hebrews. And back here in Philippians, the famous chapter 2, we read that our master Jesus didn't have any sense of entitlement. In fact, he untitled himself and served us through death on a cross. Our master became a servant, and us servants are not above our master. Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India for 55 years, wrote, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Yet as the master 
shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. This corona leg of the journey has pierced our feet, hasn't it? Some of us are already quite scarred and some of us are scratched. Friends, as the master shall us servants be, unentitled Jesus imitating servants. So we're servants. We are also saints. Paul writes to all the saints, meaning all the especially set apart ones. Before beginning to teach the Philippian believers anything really, he brands them saying, you do know, don't you, that God has set you apart in Christ, secure in your salvation, never to be plucked from God's hand. I just want to check, friends, that you know that also, that you are a saint, that his righteousness is now your righteousness, that the great exchange is complete, that the set apart one became sin on the cross, that us sinful ones might become set apart. We are servants, we are saints, and we're also recipients of grace. I enjoy how Paul blends greetings and prayers, don't you? You can call them hello prayers. It's like he walks in your front door and says, hello, it's so good to see you. Oh, might you know the grace and peace from the Father and the Son? A question, where will you find grace and peace in these difficult days? CNN, BBC, News 24, Facebook, blogs, I expect not, but I know you will from the Father and Son. You have direct personal access to them, log into them more than any other source for grace and peace. And last, in this introduction, we learn that we are partners. Uh, he explicitly calls them partners in verse 5, but he does a quick who's who here. And first, our senior partner at Jesus is head over the church. Not an abstract, out-of-touch chairman, but he holds us together, causing us to throb with his life, his spirit, his comfort, his courage. And then we've got Paul and uh, Timothy working to strengthen the church from the outside. New Testament churches were meaningfully connected with other churches and with ministers like Paul, Timothy, Silas, Apollos, Barnabas, Priscilla and Aquila, Lydia, John, Mark and so on. All of them working from the outside to comfort, encourage and equip local churches. And also catching them up on a wider mission. And our global partnership helps with that too, doesn't it? Not just strengthening us, but lifting our gaze and enlarging our horizon of mission. I'm going to talk more about that at the end. And then last, there are saints and elders or overseers and deacons inside the church. Local congregations like yours consisting of leaders and followers in gospel partnership together. And it's a beautiful multifaceted partnership, isn't it? All of us partnering with Jesus, partnership between uh, churches, and then partnership within churches, believer to believer. Okay, we're going to read on now, part two, and learn more about these wonderful gospel partnerships. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Well, the first thing we learn about partnership is that you know when you're in it. In verse 5, Paul says that their partnership started on an actual day. Um, your partnership as a member of your local church started on the day that you became a member of that church. Our partnership together in advance started the day your church became a partner church of advance. And this word partner is terrific. It's like a stake in the heart to consumer Christianity, isn't it? That you're not a congregant of your church, you're a partner. You're involved. Our churches are not recipients of advance. We are advance. Believer to believer, in our churches and church to church partnerships, we're not parasites, we're productive. We're not passive, we're contributing together. Uh, I was on a Zoom call recently, I'm sure you've been on many of those uh, in the last few weeks. I was talking to various advanced leaders um, in our region of America and we're all giving news. And then it came time for Joe from uh, Rally in North Carolina to give his news and he set the screen alight. It was beautiful to watch and listen to him boasting about his congregation as not a congregation, congregating, but as an active army together partnering in the advance of the gospel even in these difficult uh, corona times. Uh, a little while ago, um, we needed to raise some money pretty urgently, a large sum, for a crisis that had hit in India and Nepal. And we were anticipating having to pass the hat round uh, all the way around the world. But just the first two groups of churches that we passed the hat to uh, gave so generously that we didn't need to raise any money uh, beyond that for this particular cause. And I was delighted in my heart. I thought, man, we are owning this together. It's not them advance. This is us and we're in this together, partnering continent to continent. Okay, moving on. A second hallmark of partnership is that we get to impart courage to each other. Certainly that's what Paul uh, did to them in verse 6. He said, I want you to be sure of this, because I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will complete it. The one who started your salvation will see your salvation through. And friends, at different times, all of us are going to need to hear some partner say this to us. It might be someone in your family or your small group. It might be someone from across the world by video reminding you that your salvation was started by God. Your salvation is being kept by God and it will be completed by God. And the devil is a spectacularly good discourager. And we need to put this kind of courage and faith about the security of our salvation into one another like Paul did. I was painting my deck recently and my son Jack said to me, Dad, is this paint cosmetic or protective? And I said, no, no, it's protective. And we need layers of, of, of protective paint put on us in, in this kind of form of courage and confidence in our salvation. It's not just a cos cosmetic thing. This is right at the heart of our faith. Christ started it. He will complete it. I have a friend called Pete Dreyer, and we used to pray together many years ago, many times. Pete was always the guy who would start the song. 
in the, you know, there's often one of those in a prayer group, isn't there, that just lifts the whole tone of faith. Pete, again and again, his go-to default song that he would start was, What a faithful God have I, what a faithful God. And he's a giant, I mean, he's about eight foot and his chest is about five foot wide. And he had such deep resonant tones. And it was like coat after coat of protective paint on me that is still, still on me today. That I have a faithful God, he started my salvation, he will complete it. This theme of God owning our salvation and keeping us is big in Philippians. In, in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul talks about laying hold of all things Christ because Christ has laid hold of him. In uh, Philippians 2, uh, th- uh, 13, uh, the famous verse when Paul says, work out your salvation because God is working in you. He's working his salvation in you. I remember I was uh, on a trip uh, strengthening a church in South Africa and Sheshi Kaniki, who's now in Dar es Salaam with his wonderful wife, Trudy, and uh, sons, Josh, Timothy, and Daniel. Hey guys, big shout out to you. Much love to you. Shesh and I were traveling together and overnight the, wind, the windshield, the windscreen uh, on our vehicle froze because we're in a very mountainous, cold part of South Africa. And uh, Shesh said to me the next morning, should I pour hot water on the windshield to get the ice off. And um, I didn't have much more experience than Shesh in cold climates, but a little bit more. And I said, oh no, don't do that. Don't, don't try and warm it up from the outside. Just start the car. Here are the keys, Shesh. Just go and start the car and let it run for a few minutes. And the ice on the outside will melt because of the heat on the inside. Do you see where I'm going with this? God's work, God's heat is on the inside of us. Don't try, and, uh, me- don't try and melt your stubborn heart from the outside. Look to God's working within you, and then you work out your salvation. Lay hold of Christ-like things, certain in the knowledge that Christ has laid hold of you. God started your salvation. He will keep it, and he will complete it. Amen. Uh, next privilege of partnership, we see Paul sharing affection with them. And we get to do that to one another as well. Verse 7, he says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. And verse 8, For God is my witness, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Friends, let us abhor corporate church. Let us pursue family church. Remember, the primary description of God is Father. And fittingly, the primary description of the church is family. Let us be that I thank God for the megachurch season from the 80s through to recently. It's still going on. I've got no problem with big churches. I love big churches. But megachurch mindset has left us with a few things that we need to be careful we don't uh, embrace. And they're three Ps. Um, The place can sometimes be more important than a lifestyle. Um, The person who leads the church can sometimes be more important than the priesthood of all believers. This is in in sort of classic megachurch, unhelpful megachurch. And then the third P, a place person, the third P is programs uh, replacing family feel and uh, genuine discipleship in the Lord. And I would encourage us all not, not to go near those three Ps, certainly enjoy the place where we meet, certainly honour the one and those that lead us, and certainly let's have some healthy programmes. But apart from that, 
Keep those in its right place. Let's have a wonderful family loving feel. Maybe each of us in this corona season can just turn up the love volume. Each of us turn up the love volume of our lives a couple of notches. Then the whole sounds uh, from the church of love will go up. Uh, another thing Paul does and that we can imitate in is in our partnership, that's you, your believers in your church, and us and our worldwide partnership, let's help calibrate one another to Christ's return. Verse 6 and verse 10, he speaks of the day of Christ, uh, the, the, the day of Christ Jesus. And friends, we must help one another, like Paul is helping the Philippians, keep our personal center of gravity more in the next life than this one. I recently, just a week ago, got a uh, an email from a wonderful lady in our church. Her and her husband, their family, have been through significant loss, Bere bereavement, real difficult years. And I was just checking in with her saying, hey, how are you doing? I know it's not an easy time of year for you as you're remembering. And uh, she replied, lovely email, and she said at the end, thanks again, PJ. I'm really looking forward to heaven. See you soon. And she signed her name. Her center of gravity is more in the next life than this one. Got another friend uh, known to many of us in our church. He's, he's called D. Jones. And uh, he's an older man now. And he's been battling cancer for several years. He's like the guy, he's like Robert Duvall in Secondhand Lions, but like a a Christian believing version. Uh, you remember Robert Duvall in Secondhand Lions. He gives the speech to young men about what it means to be a man. And D is just rough and tough and loves Jesus. And he's really sick and struggling now. But each time that I've gone around to see him, he hasn't sucked sympathy from me. He's charged me. He's, he, says, he says, PJ, keep your eyes on your wife, not any other woman. Like, okay. He says, and love your boys. Make sure you give them enough attention. He says, and love Jesus and lead his church. I go, yes, D. He's an older man who's charging me. But this is a man who's got his center of gravity more in the next life than this one. Look at this uh, picture here of D. He's holding up a sign, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, about the momentary afflictions of this life being far outweighed by the glory uh, of the next. We all need D. Jones in our lives, in our churches, in our partnerships who keep us from obsessing about today and help us obsess about that great day. I've actually just blogged on this whole topic of the afterlife, death, hell, heaven, to help us keep our center of gravity more in the next life than this one. You can check it out on my website if you like. And finally, prayer is a huge part of partnership. Uh, Paul mentions it several times, verse 4. And verse 9, it's my prayer, every prayer of mine, my prayer for you with joy. I love our growing culture of prayer across our partnership. I'm so proud of all our churches that are committing increasingly to prayer. Prayer is the ultimate sign that we really do believe that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Um, I was in India and Nepal a little while back and I was preaching to maybe 500 people uh, through an interpreter and you know what it's like, people who are listening to you, they can pick up the odd English word. They don't need to wait for the interpreter to translate it. Um, and I was talking, talking, and then I mentioned, I said something like, so let's, so we need to be praying for that. And I was actually meaning, 
generally and in the future, we need to remember that situation in prayer. But as soon as the people, the Nepalese and Indian people, heard me say in English, we need to be praying for that, and they knew what I was talking about because I'd just spoken about it, before the translator had even uh, translated it, this wall of noise, it was, like a, it was like a wave of prayer just grew in the room and it knocked me. I mean, not physically, but in, my spirit was knocked and they just started praying. We had to take a little break, a prayer break. Everyone just, I wasn't even meaning they should pray then and there. And I was so helped by that. This, their default option was to pray. You hear, let's, let's pray, let's pray. Prayer keeps us free from burdens that are not ours, but the Lord's to carry. It keeps us focused on what is truly important. Prayer keeps us soft-hearted yet thick-skinned. It causes despair to yield to hope and it stokes the fires of faith. Andrew Murray said, by prayer, the church on earth has at its disposal the powers of the heavenly world. Well, there are several other glorious truths that uh, we could look at in this passage, but I want to rush on to section three to look about the uh, primary passion that Paul had. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Maybe you, like Paul, feel that you're in a prison of some sort at the moment and that the way we do church and mission and evangelism has suddenly been arrested and put in chains. Friends like Paul, of this corona season, I do believe that we will come to say that what happened to us has really served to advance the gospel. Just three brief thoughts on this. First, let's bring the gospel to those we are in contact with. So for Paul, it was the imperial guard. Who's your imperial guard? Family, neighbors? Second, bring the gospel more courageously than ever before. I think corona has been oil on the rusty hinges of some stubborn hearts. Let us not say, yet four months until the harvest, lift up your eyes, the fields are white unto harvest now. And third, let us in our churches and in our worldwide advanced partnership keep mission front and center. Paul's lens through which he viewed good times and bad was mission. He says, what has happened has really served to advance the gospel. So what was happening was not as important to Paul as whether the mission was happening. So friends, no matter how long this corona disruption lasts, we need to keep planting and strengthening churches around the world. Do you remember how at the end of uh, Romans, uh, after 14 chapters of strengthening them with <laughs> incredible doctrine, Paul says, hey, and we've got to get the gospel to Spain. Friends, we got to get the gospel to your neighbors and to the nations of the world in our generation. And we've had good success in this regard together. Uh, to mention just three out of many church plants, by God's grace, through our partnership, we now have a church in Nairobi, Kenya, that didn't exist three years ago. We've got a church in Glasgow, Scotland, that didn't exist a year ago. And we've got a church in Triorki in South Wales that didn't exist but months ago. 
we need hundreds more churches planted in our generation. I'm reminded of the story in World War II when someone was raising money for the Red Cross, a health organization, and they went to Texas and speaking to just a few poor people in a town hall said, we need bandages and we need crutches. And then a well-known multi-millionaire Texan came in at the back and the presenter immediately changed gear and said, and we need helicopters and we need hospital ships, we need ambulances. Friends, we're coming to a big God. Let us come with big requests for one another in our churches, for evangelism in our communities, and for our partnership around the world. We're going to have a few brothers and sisters now lead us in prayer. Much love to you, and God bless you.